This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Hi everybody, welcome to Bumping Into. My name is Francis Populan, and on this episode of the show, we are talking with Paul Hutchinson. Paul has led an extremely interesting life, as you're about to hear. Uh, Paul started his career as a businessman, an entrepreneur, uh, sold several companies, um, accumulating some serious wealth along the way, which led to co-founding a investment fund that currently holds over $40 billion worth of assets. Uh, the story doesn't end there. The story goes a lot deeper than that. So Paul's success in business has enabled him to donate not only money and time, but also risk his life uh, in fighting particularly child trafficking. Um, Paul has been involved, directly uh, involved, with at least 10 um, undercover missions of rescuing children that are caught up in child trafficking rings. Uh, he's been involved in over 40 of them, um, but directly undercover in at least 10 of them himself. Finally, um, has has put aside his um, undercover missions and now looking to create awareness um, and bring light to a very dark subject. So this is Paul's story. It's broken into a few bits. We, we start with Paul's business story, um, we go into a few things of, of uh, I suppose, aspects that Paul believes in and Paul's uh, associated with and, and some of the techniques that he uses for um, for creating success and wealth. He's a well-known public speaker. He speaks on many occasions at various universities and functions. He's, he's well-connected in that space with the likes of um, Tony Robbins. Um, so he's got that connection as well to that space. And we talk about that and some of those life principles and mindset principles that he firmly believes in. And then we talk about his businesses that allowed him to, to I suppose, achieve this massive growth and financial success, which ultimately led to him working in his what's become his passion and, uh, and I suppose, core objective, which is protecting defenseless children in these countries from the child trafficking rings. We also talk about the movie that Paul has coming out that focuses on his most successful mission, which was a the rescue um, of 120 children uh, for one single mission. And that now has been turned into a film that is going to be released later this year. There's also going to be a book coming with that as well. Um, so there's a few exciting things there to talk about. Uh, but you will hear about the positive impact that Paul has made and is making, um, and how and how he is trying to bring general awareness to what is going on, unbeknown to the masses, unfortunately, about a dark, sinister trade. Um, so it, we cross over a lot of aspects. There's a lot to take in. It's a it's a it's a great interview with a fascinating person who's had an extremely uh, eventful life and continues to do so. If you do want to find anything else, as always, you can head to bumpingintocomau don't forget the .au. Um, there is going to be more information there about this episode and some links to Paul's websites and a couple of other projects. Um, but there's also going to be the whole backlog of other episodes. We make a point of this podcast being extremely broad ranging. So you might find something else there that you weren't looking for. And if you do, that's that's great. Let's go straight into the conversation that was recently recorded with Paul. Francis, how hey, are you? Paul, I'm good. How are you? I'm super good. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Thanks very for... much for coming on the show. 
Well, I'm excited to connect with you. I've heard some good things. And uh, um, yeah, in fact, I, I didn't tell my assistant, but I was referred to you through, I'm good friends with uh, like the, the founders of Reebok, I think were on your show. Oh, yeah, Joe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was talking to Joe and his wife a couple weeks ago and they said, oh, you know what? I, you ought you to get on with Francis. I think he'd be, oh, he'd be wow. a good match. So. Well, that's really nice. They are both lovely, lovely people. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Good, good hearts, good people for sure. Yeah. So now where are you located? Uh, so Australia, um, Queensland on the Gold okay. Coast. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Love Australia. Yeah. Been down there a few times. In fact, I, I did, uh, I participated in, in helping with the child rescue mission in the Middle East, in Syria. And the, the, a lot of the children that were there were part of the Yazidi group. And we met with the ambassador to Australia and he agreed to take as many women and children as we can put on airplanes and take down there. So, oh, you know, we wow. might be able to talk on that on, on yeah. part of the podcast since you're in Australia. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I wanted to sort of take you on a bit of a roller coaster, not so much following uh, a straight linear path, if we can. That's good. And, I like roller <laughs> And I wanted to sort of dive into uh, a couple of things uh, that you're, I suppose, um, connected with, associated with, endorse, talk about, and and narrow in, a, I suppose, a couple of opposing views on those and see your thoughts on them. Um so, but before we go down and, and we we go into the to the roller coaster, um, my my thing is always going back before we come present. I, I like to go back to build a to build a base as such. And one of the things that um, I love to know is turnkey moments. So that that time in someone's life where it changed, there was a switch that flicked, and either it was a mental thing that said oh, it's okay now, there's money in the bank, or there was a contract that was scored, or all of a sudden you could afford something, or you were driving something, or you bought something, and you thought, this is a turnkey. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do is go back pre-Paul, the investment fund creator. And, uh -huh. and you know, obviously that, you know, especially now that fund's a $40 million in asset fund. So we're not talking about a small little fund. We're talking about serious money, but going back to who was the Paul before that happened? What was he doing as a 20 year old or an 18, 19 year old? You bet. You bet. I'll, uh, that's a great question. So, so uh, turning points for me, um, number one was, probably when I was about 14, 15 years old. And I was, I, I buck teeth. I was, I wasn't very popular at school. Um, and I went to my dad and I said, dad, I said, well, how do I, what do I need to do to be popular? What do I need to do to be successful? And, um, and he gave me two things. He gave me a book called uh, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. It was an old tattered one that he had when he was a kid. And he said, he said, this book will change how you see people and understand that it's not all about you, Paul. And, and understand that in every conversation with somebody else, they're a thousand times more interested in themselves than they are you. Absolutely. And, and if you change shift that and understand that we're all connected in a way that we don't see, then, then you'll connect with people in a way that you couldn't before. And so I, I thought, wow, that's beautiful. And then he gave me an audio program 
by Brian Tracy called The Psychology of Achievement. And I have this old Sony Walkman and I was listening to these audio tapes, you know, and I listened to that so many times that I actually broke the tapes. I had to tape them back together and put a pencil in them and screw them back. And, you know, (laughs) and that was the foundation of me realizing that it wasn't just my actions that created things in my life. In, redeed, in, in reality, it was my words and my thoughts as well that were, that were formulating things that attracted the right people and the right circumstances and the right opportunities. And, and it laid a foundation of me truly understanding that there was something more than just physical work that was tied to success. I had to believe that I could. I had to, I had to shave a millionaire way before I was a millionaire. You know, I had to see that man in the mirror as a good father before I ever was a good father. I had to see that man in the mirror as a man of integrity in order for me to guide my life in a way where I could live a life of integrity. And those things all came from listening to that audio program over and over and, and, and also in training my, teaching my kids how to, how to look in the mirror and say, I like myself. I like myself. I I think that's one of the biggest problems in the world today is that people genuinely don't like themselves. Deep down, they they hold trauma from when they were kids or 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 somebody said something to them once in their life and they say it over and over and over again in their mind. Yeah. And sure. they hold on to this for so long. And so yeah. by changing that perception I have of myself, that was a huge changing point for me. And and I, I, I'm not without challenges after that. You know, I, I ran for student body vice president and I, my slogan was, was if it ain't hutch, it ain't much. And some kids that didn't like me changed it to hutch ain't much, you know, <laughs> you know, for a, for a kid in school, that was devastating, yeah. you know? And, and there was, there was all kinds of bully issues and things like that. That It was super funny. They, they, one of the main bullies that just made me feel super small in school years later, I was, uh, I was, you know, the founder of a multi-billion dollar company and had arrived and whatever. And, and I was at a wedding of one of my cousins and, and this guy was a, a high church leader now in this church house that we were having the wedding at. And he came to me and he said, Hey, Paul, I, 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 it's good to see you again. After all these years, he said, ah, uh, there wasn't anything in element in junior high and high school that I said that you carry with you. And I said, I said, no, I said, actually those things that you said hurt me more than anybody else. I can possibly think of during those years because you were popular and you were important and I wasn't. And, and, uh, uh, he said, uh, well, I, I can I can see that it didn't affect you negatively. I said actually it affected me positively because I took what you said and and those touch ain't much and I decided I was going to look in the mirror and say no, I'm worth something. I can do something with my life. I'm not going to allow the words and the thoughts of those people. So I give him this huge hug, and I said I want to thank you actually <laughs> because that motivated me to go yeah. out and and. Improve you wrong, even though you didn't even know what was going on in my life. I wanted yeah. to prove that feel to start could... the fire. Exactly, exactly. So it was, it was a beautiful opportunity to just hug him and say thanks for treating me like crap. <laughs> <laughs>
it's it's an interesting to touch on the book, uh, especially Dale Carnegie's book. Um, is you know, and that, and that is so true in its essence that it's it's all about them. If you can figure out it's all about them and if you can be that person that asks questions and lets that person feel elevated, you you can be the person they want to be around. But one thing, and I, I read that book many, many years ago, one thing I don't think people touch on, and I've seen this happen in real life with someone, uh, a really nice person, go out of their way to do anything for anybody and understood that principle. And everyone, he was friends with everyone, everyone had time for him. But if you don't have the ability to this can sound a bit harsh, take, or the self-worth to be, now I need to take, you become a doormat and you become the favorite doormat. So there is that thing, and it's hard to put that into a chapter that says, all right, this is what you do. I think Robert Greene probably does structure that up quite well in that he talks about the power of seduction, but in the back, you need to know what it is you're going to need at some point and don't be afraid to take it. And that's probably a hard thing to maybe put together without sounding that you're yeah, a well, bit it's, nasty. It's because, well, people confuse the don't have ego, don't have pride and whatever. They see that yeah. as bad. And, and yes, it is when that pride makes you feel like you're better than anybody else. Yeah, and that's absolutely. Somebody, but if you can get to the point where you see that divine light inside of you and inside of others and respect it mutually yeah. and and get to a point of, really understanding what self-love means scientifically it's impossible for you to love somebody else more than you love yourself so people that say oh i've got this uh christ-like love i love other no you know what if you look in the mirror and you hate that man in the mirror it's impossible for you to really show and feel that love for others and 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 helping people get to that point i believe is a key to helping to heal the world. And we can talk about that later on in my, my journey in, in, uh, in going into the darkest depravity of, of human nature with the, with the child rescue missions, but, but, and, and where I really believe it needs to go in order for people to heal, it starts with that. It starts with being somewhat selfish in a positive way yeah. in loving yourself and building yourself so that your bucket can be full so that you can indeed truly love other people. Do you think um, that social media creates a dangerous uh, platform for this to happen? I mean, Instagram is, it's so easy and I see it in real life where you've got this uh, beautiful facade and everything's rosy. And that person is now fueled by by the drive of more followers, more likes. And the people watching are fueled by, well, if that's their lifestyle, I want it. And I, I sort of liken it to this obsession with painting a facade, but totally forgetting about building a concrete base that's going to hold it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without a foundation, then all of it's just crap. And And realize this, when, you know, on social media and everything, everybody puts their best foot forward, yeah. right? You know, you can see my kitchen back there. You don't see the dishes in the sink, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So so you're like, okay, here's, here's my best view right here and whatever. Yeah. And so so people have that. And then you look at that and think, oh, you know, their life is perfect. They've got money. They've got, they've got relations. They've got, but they don't see that everybody, everybody mm. has pain. Everybody has sorrow. Everybody has things that are, that are challenging in their life. But that's part of the growth. 
That's part of the ascension. That if, if we don't go through difficult times, then we don't really appreciate the joy of the good times. If we don't have loss, then we, we can't in, in really appreciate the, the beautiful things that we have in our life. And so there's a, there's a polarity in all things. And unfortunately, the social media makes us think that everybody's life's perfect, but ours. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, you know, we put so much value on things that really don't matter. Yeah. Right? We, we put value on things like money and following somebody's got a bigger bank account a bigger following more people like them whatever it is we put so much value on that where in reality those are those are just tools they're tools that can be used for good they're they're tools that can be used for evil you can you can have influence that can lead people down a negative path or you can have influence that can lead people down a positive path you can have money that can take advantage of people and hurt others you can have money that truly creates healing do you think the the balance is the hardest sell? And by that, I mean, we tend to live in a world that plays at the extremes. And if you look at trends, that could be anything. If we take exercise, 1970s and 80s, people were going for a run. Now you've got CrossFit, you've got F45, you've got guys dragging tires through swamps, getting yelled at and whipped. And, and it's like, no one wants to watch a guy going for a run down a suburban street anymore. We've got to do this. We're playing at the extremes with fashion. I mean, uh, you know, it's how hard is it just to see a tight pair of jeans with a black t-shirt? Now it's got to be wild to to make a headline. So do you think that there is a problem in promoting and uh, appreciating balance? I would say so, for sure. And and And, and unfortunately, we... Our human nature, when we grab onto something, we just hold on, keep going that way. And we we set our goals and we just, but we don't understand that, that, I mean, in a money situation, there's no success can compensate from, for failure in the home. And so some people will go hardcore 18 hours a day to have the Ferrari Lamborghini. And then they, they don't have that other part of balance in their lives and they get burnt. Or they, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're at the top of the, the, the pyramid and they're lonely because they, they didn't create that balance in their lives. And I believe, and we can, I believe that, 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 that center point of the yin and the yang is really where peace comes from. And, and from a, from an infinite love standpoint, an unconditional love standpoint, that's really where it sits is is getting way of the extremes on either side. There's, there's so many people that will, they'll ask me, they'll say, Paul, how can you, how can you go into the darkest place and, and be face to face with a, with a trafficker that's selling children and not have them see the anger and hatred in your eyes? And I say, you want to know the truth? It's because I love them. Oh, you can't love them. They did this and this and this. Yeah. I love the innocence of those children more, yeah. but get to a place of balance in the center. Now I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure they never hurt another child again, but I can't judge them. And I can't go on this extreme of hellfire and domination. I don't know if some horrible things happen in their life to get them to that point. And so I can't, I can't be over here on this far extreme of holy, 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 let's go to church every day and hate those guys. But then I can't go on that side either. There's a place in the center that is balanced that can truly heal that can make sure that they can get the help that they need, but still understand that there's, that there's probably trauma that they came from. So from a, from a pendulum standpoint, absolutely. There's, there's a place in the center of, 
of of true peace that can come when you're not living in the extremes. Um, I, I wanted to go into a couple of things I know you're an advocate for, and and obviously visualization and manifestation and and, and gratitude and those things. But before we get there. I'm curious as to, you know, you've, you've done a lot, accomplished a lot. Was there a, what was that, that business or was it the fund or what was it that enabled that big change in terms of, was there one business that you built and sold that was okay from here now, I led to this, to that, to this, and therefore I was able to do what, what was that, that stepping stone that was a real key one? Um. A, a key stepping stone for me um, that 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 kind of brought everything together and helped me direct, plus a business. So I'm going to do two two answers to that question. So number one, in my early 20s, about 25 years ago, I um, more than that, almost 30 years ago, I met a man who who he he read on not even a third grade education his his horrible childhood his his mom was in a mental institution his dad was was uh, alcoholic and i think he ended up killing himself and hor- he ended up in foster homes and a lot of crime fast forward he was about 50 years old when i met him and he was the inventor of he still didn't know how to read this is important. He still didn't know how to read, yet he was the inventor of over 300 life-saving medical devices. He was the inventor of the original software that voice recognition was built upon by, by IBM. And all of these different things he was the inventor of. And, and, and I went to lunch with him and he said, Paul, he said, you could have an IQ at 200 if you wanted. And I'm like, uh, no, first of all, I don't think you can change your ITQ. And number two, I'm really not that smart. I, I worked my butt off for the grades that I had, and I didn't even get a scholarship. He goes, no, he said, the difference between me and you is that I I listen better than you. I said, you, you listen better than me? He said, no, I listen better than you. He said, he said, most people discount their intuitions because they know not from where they came. They think they came from the limited books they've read and the people they've talked to and, and even inside themselves, and they don't trust themselves. They hate that guy in the mirror. So why could that guy come up with any good ideas, right? When they understand that indeed every single one of us are connected energetically to each other, to the earth, to the universe in ways that we don't understand and we can't see. And when we learn to listen, it can help direct us towards our worthwhile goals and dreams. Now, it, what's important about that listening thing he said is that you have to have a goal. You've got to have somewhere you want to go. If you if you don't have a goal, you'll get nowhere with amazing accuracy. He said, but but if you if you identify exactly where it is and then clearly hold that visualization in your mind but then just learn to listen, he said the answers will start coming. The people will show up and and all you have to do is just walk through the door. So that changed everything for me, everything, everything. And, and I started, and I started living my life from a point where I was truly listening. And, and in doing so, the thing that felt good to me was I wanted to make sure that I was making a positive impact in the lives of others in whatever way I made money, I wanted to make sure it was good. And, um, and so the first company that I built, I owned the, the marketing division uh, company for 
uh, Lucinda Bassett's Attacking Anxiety and Depression program. It was an audio program that helped people overcome anxiety and depression disorders. And we built it up to the point where we had 50,000 people a month calling in off of this infomercial to get this workbook and this audio program to help them change the negative habit patterns of thought that were creating their anxiety and depression in the first place. It fell right in line with what I learned at 14, 15 years old with the psychology of achievement and understanding that indeed we could all build and create anything we wanted, but the, 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 the negative habit patterns of thought were holding us in this place where we couldn't break free. So that business changed everything. I sold that company when I was 29 years old for, for eight figures and that money I used to be able to put now some of it was in stock restricted stock. That's a whole other story, but other, other part of cash where I was able to put that and start investing in an investment fund and, and built that as well. But even in the fund world, we decided that we would build it with integrity and everything that we did would have a true win, win, win. There's no such thing. You, you don't have to live in, in a dog-eat-dog dog world. Mm -hmm. You can literally create wealth out of thin air. You can create value for everybody around you in every single situation. We can go into detail about how that win-win-win is set up. But those were the two things that really changed it for me is that meeting with, with Jerry Prine and starting that company that, that helped people overcome anxiety and depression. That's what that's what really built into what we have today. Was it a, so, you know, I've got the feeling that you came from an ordinary existence. You weren't born into super wealth. So you came from the ground up. Was it a big culture shock or coming into that level of money and then going like a, like you see with a lot of footballers and basketball players, and they just don't know how to cope with this abundance of money that's turned up on their doorstep. Was that an issue at any point? Um, no, because I worked my butt off for a long time. So you appreciated get... it. and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you know, guys who go from broke to wealthy really quick. Yeah. Sometimes it, that's difficult for them. But, you know, people ask me, what, what does it feel like to have a house like that, to have a car like that? What, what does that feel like? And my answer is exactly like I imagined it would. Yeah. You know, I saw myself being in that position, I saw myself having that, that, that life of abundance in these areas. And when you get there, it will feel just like you imagine, because that imagination, that energy behind it is what helped to formulate that in your life. Yes. Yeah. If, if we, we talk about the aspect of that and, and obviously at its core, it's, it's very important to create a target. Otherwise you just scattering firing bullets into the unknown and hoping you hit something so obviously that's really important um and and a part of that is you know you you've spoken a lot about visualization and manifestation and all the rest of it one thing i think with that as well that doesn't get enough attention and you've touched on it is the the sheer hard work after you've done that, because there is so much that people just think, if I think it, I'll get it. And it's like, no, 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 you got to realize there's sacrifice. There's, there's going to be tough times. There's going to be good times. There's going to be, it, it, it's not going to be 
just write it down and hope it turns up. You know, I, I met a guy once years ago who said to me, um, if, um, if you make every important decision based on your objective, at some point in time, it cannot not happen because you're just continually realigning that decision and that decision, and that decision. And whether it be, I'm not going to go out tonight because I'm going to keep that $50 to do something with later on for this. Eventually it's going to compound and that, that will come to life. But that in itself is part of the effort that goes in behind the scenes that people aren't as quick to promote. And I think um, one of the things that that pops up is you get guys, I mean, I read a lot about uh, stoicism. I think it's a, it's quite a nice philosophy, but there's a lot of people that poke fun at oh, visualizing and goal setting and all that in the stoicism world as such. Um, and I think it's quite unfair because what they're doing is they're poking fun at the surface of it. They're not actually understanding that um, here's a layer and once you go deep, you know, because social media, once again, everyone can post a thing in in a, oh, here's my new car. I always wanted this BMW and it turned up. It's like, hang on a minute. Well, either you're in a bucket load of debt and there's a mental burden or you work 12 hours a day for X amount of time. There's something that happened that you're not telling us, um, yeah. which I think is a dangerous aspect of it. Um, but in terms of, you know, Stoicism's gained a lot of popularity. And, and I spoke once very briefly with Donald Robinson, uh, who I think is is a great author. And I said to him, is there a conflict in your the Stoic philosophy versus, say, guys like James Allen and things like that? And he said, "Well, yeah, th- there is." But what I took from that com- that conversation was, at some point, there is a middle ground, and I don't think anyone's identifying and bridging it because the Stoics will say things like, um, "You know, if you're out in the bush and you're aiming at an animal, and and you know, it's for survival." Um, you line everything up. You make sure your bow's the straightest, your your this is the straightest, you, you know the times, you know the light, you know this. And if you miss, you let it go. You don't have an attachment. And that's a beautiful philosophy. You don't boil up over it. But then they'll that can be sort of twisted and turned into um discounting the fact that that guy had a vision of catching that to feed his family. So we we can bring it back and there's aspects that do relate, but very few people bridge the gap. Is that something that you've found as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's what I've found. Um, Your dream is what motivates you to carry on, you know? So yes, you have the vision, but you can't just sit there and have the vision to have it show up. It's, it's a combination of, you know, they say faith without works is dead. That's what it is in life. You know, you can't have this belief, this visualization and not put in the work and just have it show up. You've got to, in fact, so many times I remember I was, uh, I I was, I was working my job and I was trying to build my company in my early twenties. And I was, I was burning candles at both ends. My job would be, I had to be there at 6am in the morning and, and, I would have to drive to another another state or another city work in my company in the in the evenings. And I remember driving back home. It was like one in the morning. And I knew I had to wake up in four freaking hours to get to work in time. And I remember rolling down my window and I would yell, Go ahead and sleep, losers. I'm gonna be a millionaire. <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> so, yeah, I worked my butt off and 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 I had to. It, it it was now here's the thing though. It wasn't just the hard work. It was, it was, I tell people if, if, if you have to wake up to an alarm clock in the morning, then you probably don't have a big enough dream, right? Mm. 
something that motivates you. That's what it's about. Find something that motivates you to go through the nose, to, to go through the rejection, to go through the challenges that you have to do as you're building your, your life, your empire, financial stuff. You, you, you're going to go through hardships and you're not going to make it through those hardships unless you've got a burning desire and a visualization that you can hold on to. So yes, it's a, it's a magical combination of the two, but one feeds off the other one. That hard work creates more creation of what you're wanting to manifest. And then that motivates you more to manifest more and to work harder, et cetera. So it's a beautiful combination together. Do you think, and I think this might tie into the whole everybody wins situation that you're an advocate for. Um, the guy or the girl who's stuck in a job, be it a plumber, be it a, an office person, be it a lawyer that's working big hours, any and, and their pay is their existence. They don't have anything more than they earn. They live week by week or month by month. They're, they're just existing. And that person, um, you know, obviously may come across stuff and they get to a point where they probably get a bit bitter. And they're like, all I'm doing is just existing. I live for Saturday and Sunday. And before you know it, Monday's here again. What do you say to someone like that, that is stuck in that rut of um, just existence Monday to Friday and probably can't see, be, you know, in their mind, they're probably thinking, well, not everyone can be a millionaire. Not everyone. Someone has to sit here and do data entry. Someone has to sit here and put pipes in to make these toilets work. What, what do you say to someone like that? And here, here's the thing, Francis. I, I don't judge any of them for being where they are. They're exactly where they want to be. And that should be okay with the rest of us right? There, there are certain people that really don't want to work 18 hours a day to have a, a better lifestyle. They would rather just work their eight hours a day and they love working with their hands and they love adding value. And that's okay. There's, there is just as much, I, I respect them just as much as I respect somebody who's built a huge company or is in a big political position, usually more. Those people are salt of the earth. They're good, good people. Here's the thing. All I ask is that if you want something more, then do something more. Mm. If you don't, that's perfectly fine. You know, just don't be complaining. Don't be bitching about what you don't have if you're not willing to do something to do about more. it. Yeah. Right. But, but the reality is, is that, that there is, there is just as much light. There's just as much divinity inside of a, of a street sweeper as there is a cardinal or a bishop or whatever. There's all of us, all of us are, are, are connected to each other and are just as valuable in the value that we create to the world. So the, the key though is, is I, I, I like this, um, um, this analogy I heard years ago. Um, somebody said, okay, so you're, you, you, um, you walk up to this, this, uh, this old farmer sitting on his porch. And you you come up and you're sitting down, you're sitting on the porch and and talking to him, and his dog is is laying there on the porch. And every few minutes his dog goes row, 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 and lays his head back down. A few more minutes the dog goes row, 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 row. and so you ask the farmer, he said, What what's wrong with your dog? And he goes, Oh, well, he's he's laying on a nail. <laughs> and you say, Well, well, why doesn't he move? And the farmer's answer is, Well, it doesn't hurt that bad. Right. So, yeah. you know, if you're if you're in life and I, I told this to my kids and stuff. So anytime they're complaining about something, they could do something about it. My answer to them is. Yeah. You know? So so 
it's perfectly fine for somebody to be laying pipes. It's perfectly fine for somebody to be a garbage man. I love and respect them because that stuff needs to be done. But don't be complaining about not having a better life or more money or whatever else if that's not the life that you want. Yeah. So, and I don't judge them. I don't say that that's not a better life. That might be a way better life than a lot of the billionaires that I know who are miserable. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I would say is that, that decide what it is that you want. Ask yourself if time and money were no issue and I knew I couldn't fail, what would I dream? What would I do? And then if you want it bad enough, go for it, pursue it. And, and I can give you the tools to achieve it, but most importantly, make sure that your life is centered in balance. Otherwise you'll get way out of balance when you've got a billion dollar bank account. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you hit the nail on the head. You do see people with simple lives that can be very happy. And then you see the other side of the coin, people that have the cars and they look for happiness in objects and items rather. And again, coming down to sorting out the foundation, make sure there's no cracks in your concrete. Then you can throw all the paint you want on the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that foundation is solid. Build your foundation about around on, on something, your entire house, everything, your life on a solid foundation. And you have to ask what that foundation is for me, my foundation. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, I didn't always have the right foundation, right? I had a foundation of, of, of building businesses with integrity of, of making a difference in people's lives. But I didn't always have that foundation in my personal life. And so that was out of balance. And when I realized how out of balance it was, and I was able to say, okay, I'm going to live with integrity in my business life and my personal life so that my entire life can be built on a foundation of love and trust and honesty in a way where I can truly be fulfilled. And that too must have changed some of the people that you were either attracted to or dealing with, because now you've gone from, I suppose you could say a a maturity is in terms of you've, you've stepped up a rank and realized that what was here isn't right. And there's a a better platform and that's going to change your association with other people as well. And then ultimately change the direction that now you're starting to travel in. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, had a meeting here at the house just earlier today and this uh, this gal she she saw a couple of the podcasts over the last couple of weeks and i've been code silent for the last 10 years i've had um, no social media or anything and it's just been the last two weeks where i've come out so that i could share some of these messages of light and hope and transformation with people and she said she said you know paul she said i X you out of any, I didn't come to any of your parties, any of your events, because eight years ago, I just, you were, you were that energy of, and I'll tell you, I was, I wasn't Paul Hutchinson. I was Paul effing Hutchinson, right? I had to build a multi-billion dollar company. And she said, but I saw that podcast you did two weeks ago. She said, and I, I felt the energy. I felt the change. I felt the transformation that, that you had, you had gone from this, this world of destructive ego mm. into the place of of centered unconditional love and healing and and really being in a place where you could make a positive impact in the world instead of just building up yourself 
And she said, I saw that and I so badly just wanted to come and hear it firsthand and see what had made those changes for you, why that massive shift had happened in your life. So yeah, I, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see the right people coming back yeah. into my life, people removing themselves from me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so then if we, if we now shift into one thing that you're a big advocate for, and you're very passionate about is looking after kids and, and, you yeah. know, rescuing and kids. And I'm curious about the, um, the simple things that would have happened in terms of how do you go from businessman to undercover in inside another country on these rescue missions? I mean, that's not something that you get a phone call on Monday and say, Oh, okay, let me think about it. And Wednesday you're flying into another country. How, how did that happen? <laughs> Ironically, it kind of was that. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so now it came from, um, you know, my, my passion, I had been, I had been, uh, on different boards of directors at different child related charities. I had made a decision back in my early twenties. I had a mentor that told me, he said, Paul, if you make a decision today to dedicate at least 20% of your time and 20% of your money to charity, to making a difference in the lives of others, you'll be infinitely more successful. And, you know, I, I attribute most of my success to that one decision. And this wasn't, this wasn't saying, okay, when I'm wealthy, I'm going to donate money. No, this is back when I'm earning $2,000 a month and giving away $400 of that was a big chunk, yeah, right? Absolutely. Making that decision when your income is small, I believe made all the difference in where we are today. So how does somebody become a partner, let alone a, a founder of a forty billion dollar company, where you're you're not a University of Utah dropout, right? You, you go to you go to Harvard, you get a JD MBA, you work really hard, you start at the bottom of in New York, you work, and twenty years later, maybe maybe you become okay. partner. The statistical probability of me being where I am is zero, and the only way I understand it is that I made that decision in my early twenties that I would dedicate a big chunk of money and time to charity. And you can call it God. You can call it karma. You can call it the universe. You can call it whatever you want to. There's a, there's a higher power, very interested in us doing good and beautiful rewards come into our lives, whether it's financial rewards or, 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 or spiritual rewards, it's all going to come. So that's the life I was living. Plus. So I ended up getting a call from our attorney general, in uh, in Utah. And he said he knew more about my background than most people. I have a, a special set of skills from a previous life that makes me somewhat safe in a dangerous place. But what had happened, he, he called me and he said, Paul, he says there's a Homeland Security agent. He's in Colombia. He's found 20 children in Cartagena. He needs about $50,000 to rescue these kids. Uh, and he introduced me to this guy. He brought him over and I was we were having a movie night with a bunch of guys. And he brought him over and I'm like, God, we're just having a movie. Now. I don't want to look at other people's charities, but this guy spoke. And I thought, wow, I had no idea this stuff even happened. Are you kidding me? And he told me, yeah, this is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. And good people don't know that this happened. They don't want to talk about it, but it's growing exponentially. And I'm like, crap, you know, if, if, uh, if, if, if I had a nine-year-old child in that position, I would give every penny I have to get her out. I would take a bullet for her. Absolutely. And just because the parents of these kids don't have the resources I do or don't have the 
don't know where they are, doesn't mean that that child is worth any less than my own. And so, so he needed $50,000 to do this rescue of these 20 children and, and me and a couple others helped to make that happen. And a few weeks later, he called me a couple weeks later, he called me and he said, Paul, he said, I'm, I'm here. And this is a Homeland security agent. He called me and he said, Paul, I'm in Cartagena, Colombia. Uh, there's not just 20 children here. There's more than 50. There's more than a hundred in the surrounding areas that are tied to the same ring. He said, we have a plan that we could rescue all of these children on the same day at the same time, but I need your help in a big way. And I said, what do you need? What kind of, how much do you need? And he said, I need you. Can you be in Columbia in two days? He said, I have to have somebody who can, who can, who comes from a real estate background. He said the head trafficker has a, a piece of, pre- of, of property, an island that he wants to develop into a, a, a sex resort for children, for sex trafficked children, something like Jeffrey Epstein's proposal he was doing, right? Oh, and, and he needs $8 million to build it. He b- believes he can make tens of millions of dollars a year from horrible people coming down here for this horrible stuff. He said, but here's our plan. You fly in. You convince him that you're willing to fund his project under one condition. He has to have a party for you and your buddies in two weeks. He has to call other traffickers that have children and have to bring them all to the same place at the same time, 50 to 100 children. And, um, and if he does that, then you'll, then you'll fund his project. So two days later, I'll have to tell you what happened though. So that was a phone call two days later. It was on a Monday. <laughs> two days later, I'm in Columbia. Now my business partner calls me because he finds out from my other partner. That's why I was getting, he goes, Paul, he said, have you, have you thought through this? <laughs> he said, yeah. this is really dangerous. He said, you're, you're set. You could, you could sell out today. You could buy an Island. You could, you could be happy the rest of your life. And I, I said, John, would I really be happy if I, bought an island if i bought a yacht if i bought another jet would i be happy i said and, and if i was doing something else dangerous tomorrow if i was climbing an everest tomorrow you and i would have the same conversation he goes yeah we probably would and i said when i when i'm 85 years old and i look back on my life and i say i i climbed this mountain and i built this multi-billion dollar company and i helped rescue this many children which of yeah, them matter? It's got more weight. Yeah, absolutely. W- were you at that point in your life, did you have kids and a family or were you just yourself where it's like, if I go, I go, I don't leave anything behind. I, I had kids. I had so kids. you were, that's a big thing then to have that. But my kids were, were, they're older, right. you know, okay. yep. years old. Um, but, but I will say this in a later mission, and I think this is super, super valuable. Um, I ended up, um, um, before that happened, my marriage was already on the rocks and whatever. And so I ended up getting a divorce and, um, a a bunch of missions later, I, I had a girlfriend and I had gone down undercover and I had, I had met with the traffickers and found the children and, and, uh, flew back. And then a week later, we were going to go back in and have the sting and rescue all those kids. And. I had a girlfriend at the time and, and she was super upset. She's like, Paul, I really don't think you should go. She, and she had two young kids. She said, I see a, a future with us. And I, I, 
this is super, why, what, can't we have other people do that? And I, and her two little boys, they were like uh, nine and 11 at the time. And they were playing in the other room with a little girl from the neighborhood. And I think her name was Jessica. I can't remember. And I, and I said, I said, hold on. I said, Jessica, can you come in here for a minute? And, and she came in and I said, question for you. I said, how old are you? She goes, I'm 10. I'm almost 11. I said, and what do you do for fun? She said, well, I, I like to dance. I like to sing and I like to you know, ride my bike. And I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, maybe, maybe be a dancer. Maybe be, maybe be a nurse. This beautiful 10, 11 year old girl with beautiful dreams, right? And I had her go back in the other room and I looked at my girlfriend at the time and I said, the little girls that those traffickers showed me last week were her age. Very different future. And if I don't go down there, they're going to be sold to somebody for a very horrible future. Mm. They deserve, they deserve to love to dance. They deserve to have a dream of being a nurse. They deserve to have those opportunities in their life. Yeah. So even though my kids weren't young, you know, I, I had young kids in my life, but that was part of the motivation to be there and to help, help save those kids. And with those missions, I mean, that this went on for quite a while. Like there was, it was several of them, wasn't there? Ten. I've, I've, I've been undercover on 70 undercover oh. rescue years in 15 countries. And was there ever the risk of being found out? I mean, you, 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 I'm assuming that these are quite violent people, typical to like the drug cartels and all the rest of it that you have this. Yeah, here's, here's the thing. First of all, probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done is the last three weeks and deciding to go public with all of this, right? Well, that was another thing I was going to ask you too, is, is are you looking over your shoulder now? Is there someone sitting here, here, in jail unhappy? I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. So the super organized drug cartel guys, they're not doing this. So, so some of my, some of our, our informants, you'd be surprised at this. So one of our big rescue missions, our, our informant, was actually the head of the, he was the drug lord in the area. He was the cartel head. And he said, he said, listen, you may not agree with how I do business. He That's said, a very different business. Yeah. I'd agree with how I do business. He said, but I've got children of my own. Yeah. And those guys are evil. Yeah. And I'm going to kill them. And if I do, I've got, you got 50 plus children. You don't know where they are. Or I tell you everything I know. You go in, you get those kids back to their families. You make sure he goes to jail and I'll take care of it from there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot of these guys, they're not highly organized, whatever else of the, 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 but the, but the problem is there's a lot of money in it. Right. Oh and so getting to the point now where it's getting bigger and bigger. And some of these guys that are organized are getting involved. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world right now. And it's now second most profitable it surpassed the arms trade and it's it's going to surpass the drug trade at some point i mean that that is terrible it's 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 incredible to think that uh, that as a, uh, humans uh, i i i can understand the drugs and the and the and the guns and and those sort of things there's money in that and once that that passes one set of hands it's like oh emotional attachment over i don't care i got my money it's done 
but when you're playing with humans and the spirit of life, um, yeah. that's, and to say that it's growing, not that it's a, oh, there's might be one thing happening here. We're going to go and have a look, but to say that this is a growing industry that is uh, from, from the human race, that is disturbing to think of. And, 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 and here's the thing, Francis, I, this is what has plagued me for the last 10 years. I, um, so our foundation is the child liberation foundation and our motto is to eradicate child trafficking. And I've been asking myself recently, okay, the problem is bigger today than it was 10 years ago when I started. So is going undercover and rescuing 20 children at a time ever going to fix the problem? One child being sold is unacceptable. Eight million is beyond comprehension. And it's growing faster than all of there's some a lot of great foundations that are going out doing undercover. And I, I, I came to an understanding that unless we figure out how to stop the demand, then the supply will continue to come. We can, we can eradicate supply in a country and it'll come back. It'll come back as long as there are demand. And so I, I started asking myself, where is this demand coming from? What, what, what is, what is driving this? And for a long time, I actually thought that the primary driver was things like pornography, where somebody would take a woman from a divine feminine to an object and then get addicted to that. And that addiction, they need something harder to have that same fix. And for some of them, harder is a little bit younger, a little bit younger. Pretty soon they're, they're fantasizing about something that they wouldn't have even thought was attractive five years ago. And then they're acting out on these horrific fantasies. That's where I thought the demand was coming from. I've now come to an understanding that the 8 million children that are being sold is a teeny tiny drop in the bucket compared to the real trauma, the real problem and the demand. So one out of every four men here in the United States and probably higher around the world, one out of every four men has experienced sexual trauma, violence at some point in their life against them. And one fourth of them happened before the age of 10 years old. So statistically, you've got over 200 million men in this world who have experienced that degree of trauma, 92% of it was familial. It was either an uncle or a grandpa or a neighbor or whatever else. And they're growing up with this trauma inside of them. And the average age of somebody who comes out and says, this happened to me as a child, is 52 years old. That's my age. They've grown their entire adult life, raised their children, holding this trauma inside of them. Best use of their lives. Exactly. And many of times, now I'm not giving the, the perpetrators an excuse here, but I am saying that most people who do these horrible things had trauma of their own that was unresolved, that they, that they go down this horrible road. I've, I've come to an understanding. People ask me, how can you sit in front of a trafficker and not have them see the anger in your face? And I say, I've understood that if I'm ever judging another human being, whether it's for cutting me off on a freeway or, or even selling a child. If I'm ever judging them, there's a 100% chance that I don't have enough information to make that judgment. I don't know if that guy cutting me off on the freeway, if he was, if, if, if he's, his wife's in the hospital, I don't know if that guy selling me a child, if he was raped as a child, he probably was. 
And there was probably a thousand bad things that happened to him and a thousand bad decisions that got him to the point where he thought that it was okay to sell a child. Now I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure he never hurts another child again, but I can't judge him because I don't have all the facts. And so, so with that in mind, I've come to an understanding that if I can use these stories of being in the darkest, deepest depravity of human nature, seeing a child being sold. If I can use those stories to capture attention and say, okay, now let's talk about what needs to happen to heal. What needs to happen for us to change this generational trauma? Now I touched on the 20% of all men, it's actually 40% of all women have experienced sexual violence sometime in their life. And one fourth of all women one billion women in this world, it happened to them as children, right? Under the age of 18 years old. And so so you've got generational trauma that is creates this skewed version of, of sexuality in so many people's lives where they then have these perverse attractions to certain types of pornography or certain types of sexual activity and this perverse energy that's driving them towards this dark road of what ends up being child trafficking. So, so that's the whole reason I thought, you know what, if, if I can go in and save 20 children undercover, but if I can go public and get this message and this word out and help people start to change the, the trauma patterns before they become contact offenders, then we can save millions of children. And that's what my goal is. When we were undercover, the most, the, the most rewarding rescues were the ones where we were able to get kids out before they were ever raped the first time while they were still just in the, you know, though those, that was the golden nuggets. But here, if we can pull, if we can save these kids before they're ever put into a trafficking position by changing the hearts and the souls of mankind as a whole, that's a that's a win. So that's where I'm going with this. That's the whole reason why I've decided to go public and to to start sharing these stories and 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 uh, hopefully inspire people that that indeed they can heal. You know, yes, I can teach all day long about using intuition and manifestation and creating a world of abundance. But guess what? Those same teachings in in leading from the heart in building a business from the heart and leading your family from the heart and listening to the heart. Those things are all in line with what it's going to take to help fix this problem and to heal the trauma before it becomes worse. You, you've <clears throat> definitely got your hands full on two fronts there because you've got the people running the business, which is disturbing in itself. But then you've got the customers that the clients to the business, which is even more disturbing because for one one uh, organizer, you put, I, I don't know how many customers he may have, but let's just say he's got 20 people or 50 people. I don't know. Um, and it's probably uh, two different approaches as well to trying to, to take away demand and supply at the same time. So there's that, that aspect as well. Absolutely. I, I tell people, I said, you, if you put me in a room with a hundred traffickers, and a hundred pedophiles got 200 guys in this room, right? 
and you say, Paul, you can, you've got one hour. You can either have a gun and no retribution, or you can have a microphone. I would take that microphone and that would be the most transformational 60 minutes of their life. I would take them into the pit of hell and I would show them firsthand the depravity of their direction and what they're doing and what I have seen. And then I will pull them out and I will show them a path to healing and show them a path to light. Now we're probably going to still lock them all up because they need years work through this. But, but if I can do that, if I believe I can do that with them, then what can we do with the masses who haven't become contact offenders, who haven't gone down that road yet? Now, there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse. I know that they've been traumatized. There's no excuse still because there's plenty of other people who have had trauma in their life that didn't go down that road. Yeah. Right. But there is the, the fact that we are all connected heart to heart to heart to everybody that 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 depravity of where they are in their life affects all of us so we need to figure out how as mankind as a whole how we can fix this generational trauma situation that is driving something this dark and be able to fix it for everybody and make sure that not only doesn't that happen but make sure that you don't have this 200 million men in this next generation that get abused on under the age of 10 years old in their own homes. Do you, do you think that with some of these people, it's, it's a pure, I don't know if it's uh, the hormones that create empathy or um, <clears throat> it's some, something at a biological level that just means they don't understand. I mean, you know, a normal person looks at a puppy and sees love, kindness, and softness. If one of these guys saw a puppy, is he going to kick it out of its way? You, do you know Probably. what I mean? And is is that just something that's missing? And it's... No, no I think I think a lot of it's missing by choice or by trauma. You know, yeah. if they've got that degree of trauma as a child and, you know, somebody hurt them, raped them, whatever happened to them, and then they're, as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, they're the ones that are burning the ants and kicking the puppy and, and whatnot, then yes, there are things that happen there. But but here's what happens. You know, people will say, uh, oh, there's just something chemically wrong with them. They don't have this empathy. They don't have, deep down inside, they're, they simply have forgotten who they are. They 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 have been in this life of trauma and misery and self-hatred to the point where they just continue this dark, dark road. But there's still some light inside deep down that I believe we can crack open. But, but yes, a series of bad decisions over time have got them to the point where they're numb. They're numb to that, that feeling of, of love. They're numb to that, that, that light that's in them. They're numb to it all. They're still loved by their creator, but they're, they're numb to that love and, and it's hard for them to feel it. And that's why they continue down. In fact, we, we, we get to this point in life where every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us have had trauma in some way in our life, somewhere, somebody heard us, somebody said something, somebody said, Paul Hutch is not much, whatever, you know, my trauma wasn't nearly what these people's trauma was, but we've all dealt with trauma in some way. And We've all processed it in different ways. We can process it in, okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Or I'm an F up. I screwed up. I screwed up. I'm not, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not whatever it is. And those, those thought patterns inside of our minds that continue to evidence stack, 
that I'm a bad person or whatever else. That's what ends up saying, you know what? I've already screwed up so much in my life. I don't care if I screw up more. Continue down this road, you know? So figuring out how to help people cleanse that and heal that is is paramount to the success here. And the governments of these countries where this is typically happening, are they running, well, I suppose one you could say, are they running rescue missions? Are they running programs to help, you know, or are you coming in really self-funded, self-appointed and having to sort this out in the darkness of night on your own? So anytime we go into a country, number one, we we operate under the laws of that country with the permission. So it's usually the 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 top federal federal agent, the top federal prosecutor and the president know that we're in country. Right. And we will come in and we will say, listen, we will do all the work, we will pay for everything, and we will give you all the credit. Right. Your people that your your hero. See, before a lot of a lot of my my partners in and some of the other foundations where they were Homeland Security or CIA or FBI, whatever else, they would come in and say, hey, we want to fix this problem. And these guys are like, no, I, I we got this problem. You know, and, yeah. and it, now as a private foundation, we can come in and say, listen, this is your country. We're going to we're going to work for you. But here's the thing, because this demand is coming from wealthy Americans or wealthy guys in first world countries into your second world country, we're going to be able to do things that you can't do. We're going to be able to capture the attention of the traffickers that you can't because they're used to guys like us coming down. So all we ask is, number one, the bad guys stay in jail for good. They don't get around your system. And number two, we have full access to the children and getting them rehabilitated back to their families. One of the most beautiful moments that I had was after there, there's a there's a movie coming out called The Sound of Freedom that uh, that follows the the story of the Homeland Security agent, Tim, that first recruited me. The actor who plays me, his name is, is Eduardo Verastegui. He's one of the more famous actors in Mexico. He doesn't, because we filmed the movie while I was still undercover, the, um, he doesn't play Paul Hutchinson. He plays Pablo Delgado, the, the billion-dollar fund manager who quits his job to go help rescue children. Right. Okay. And this movie should be coming out later this year. It's fully done. It cost us almost 15 million to produce it. But that movie follows the story of the largest child rescue mission that we ever did. 127 children in one day in Colombia. And we went back down about two months after that rescue mission. And I met with this guy who was a brigadier general, the top military official in the area. He opens the door to his office and he gets visibly emotional when he sees us and he gives me this huge hug and he says, there's never been a U.S. organization that has done more good for the children in slavery of our country than what you guys did. He said, because you didn't take any of the credit, we couldn't, we were undercover. He said that the, the media picked up the story and announced that the Colombian federal officials arrested 20 traffickers or 25 traffickers and 20 Americans and rescued over a hundred children. And the good people of Colombia said, yeah, this is what we want. And it created a motivation and in which those federal agents who now had been trained while we were there of how to do it, they did five additional stings on their own over that last two months, rescued hundreds of more children. And then, one of our operators went in where talking to, we were talking to some of the 
you know, where before there's the guys on the side of the street that are selling cocaine, you ask them, Hey, you know, where's some connections to some kids before you could find out who was selling children. And one of them was like, Oh no, didn't you hear the feds, the feds arrested everybody. They arrested all the Americans. You can't buy children in Colombia. That's beautiful. That's what you want to do is make a strong enough impact that people rise up and say, yes, this is what we want. And then they're trained enough to continue on their own. And he's, there must be a reason, and I'm sure it's a frustration. Um, I see more news notifications pop up on my phone, front page of the newspaper, headline events on the six o'clock news for some cricketer who's arguing with his wife at some pool resort. Then you see about these rescue missions and the work being done. What yeah. is the possible reason that mainstream media isn't helping it's- this cause? Number one is dark. So you, you know, that keeps them away. You think they just don't want to touch it. Yeah. You're, you, this is, you don't want to be around your kitchen, your dinner table saying, Hey, you know, let's talk about the problem of child trafficking, you know, chi- children being sold for sex and organ harvesting. This is a dark subject, right? Yeah. But because it's a dark subject and because people don't talk about it, it's running rampant. But, and the, they're, they're, the other thing is, too, these rescue missions, for a long time, I thought this was the key to success in fixing this problem, right? I thought, okay, the more we can do, the more we can fund. Let's bring these mission, these, these rescue missions and show people what's going on, and it will change the problem. And it's not. Because pulling the kids out of the hell, if there's still a demand, they're gonna, there's more that are going to come back, mm-hmm. Right. So we've got to we've got to figure out how to fix that problem if we're really going to save the kids. The, the majority of customers they're not within the countries, are they? They're they're traveling too. Yeah. yeah so that's a, a uh, that's going to be a big thing in itself. Then you've got to try and establish where they're coming from, why they're coming, and provide a space where I guess they can even talk about it. Because if they're not going to talk about it, they're not going to solve it. And if they're going to have fear of talking about it, then this is just going to be a very destructive cycle. Well, and we have, um, we have some partners that uh, other foundations that have some software that goes into the dark web where most people think that they're anonymous on the dark web. And they think that whatever they're searching for and, and is, is not going to show up anywhere. And this, this software goes in to the dark web and is able to identify the global identifier numbers on the computers of people who are downloading this stuff. And here's a scary number. In one month, they were just in the United States alone, they identified 800 thousand unique individuals who had downloaded a child rape video this is a big freaking problem right massive problem that's that's huge if if you figure there's 350 million people in the united states you figure maybe a hundred million men you take out the women and the children the young whatever else 100 million men and you got 800,000 you've got a million that's one in a hundred guys that in one month downloaded a child rape video right? That's huge. And so then the software goes in and helps identify which ones are most likely contact offenders, because if we can stop them now, yes, that's illegal. That's bad. Is it, but it's not, they haven't hurt a child yet, but they're on the way there. Yeah. So capture them, then put them into a place where they can 
be away so they're not going to hurt children anymore and help them to heal somehow before they become contact offenders, then that's a win as well. So obviously this movie that you've, you've got coming out is going to create awareness and that's a great way, you know, that true, true crime style movies are hugely popular and, and get a message across. And then of course, I'm, I'm sure there'll probably be a similar book that, that would pair with it quite well as well. But what is the next step? What's the next thing then? Like, you know, if that you're so working here's, on. Here's, here's what I believe is going to fix the problem. And I'm going to come from a very non-religious direction, but I need to, I, I believe that step one is helping people feel and recognize the spirit of truth that is in them. This is something that we were all, like we were talking about earlier, does, does something happen where they, they get to the point where they just kick the dog and they, they don't feel anymore, but helping everybody understand that they don't have to go through another person to get to that divine connection, right? That, that spirit of truth. We live in this world of, of fake news on the right and fake news on the left. We've got, we've got doctors who tell us the truth and doctors who lie to us. And we've got, yeah. we've got all this confusion that we're like, how do we identify truth? Where is yeah. it? So it's racket. My, we live in a world of racket. Exactly. Yeah. So my first book that will have that story about that, that guy, are you listening? My first book will be coming out in a few months. It's called, Are You Listening? And it's going to share the examples of using the, that, that, that guidance to find the children. Almost every rescue mission that I did wasn't following logic and protocol. It was, it was listening. And, and beautiful things came up, the, the, the business success, all of these things. And so I can use the success in these rescue missions and the allure of that and the, the, the fact that I build a company, all of this stuff, I can help people see, listen, we can all listen. And so that's step number one is, is bringing them into this alignment of, of guidance that will help them direct their life in a better way without even telling them what's good, what's bad. I'm not going to, not going to judge. Okay. The truth is there. We innately deep down inside know that is not okay to hurt a 10 year old like that. Every one of us know deep down. And so being able to really learn to listen and allow that to start guiding our life is step one. Step two is also tying into this energetic connection that we all have in, in teaching, um, teaching the principles of, of manifestation in a way that can help bring it into this subject. My, so if, if step one, book one is, are you listening and, and being a, a receiver? Step two, book two will be on being a transmitter where it's not just the law of attraction. It in reality is the law of creation. And we're creating this future of with our, with our actions, with our words, with our thoughts. And we can direct it in those ways because of those thoughts. And we can go into stories there and talking about things like pornography, where somebody's in a happy marriage, quote, happy marriage, but they're secretly, you know, visualizing and, and, and the, these, these cheating on the side with, with pornography, then that's going to feed stuff into their subconscious mind that their subconscious mind is going to put you on autopilot and drive you the direction that it thinks you want to be driven because you've been fantasizing about it. 
right? And I can do that in so many areas of life. And so using those examples and helping people redirect their thought patterns, change the negative thought patterns they have about themselves, create a world of abundance, not just financially, but but in a way that can guide their life to a true happiness and a life of integrity and com- and and connection that we have with each other, with our families, et cetera. So that those are kind of the first steps that that are going down this road. But but I believe that my messages, those books, those experiences can help people say, you know what? Yes. I can let go of this trauma. I can let go of these, this direction that I go in my life. I've seen that depravity. How can I guide my life in a way where I can have beautiful abundance in every area? Yeah. And balance. And balance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Healthy balance. Well, that's a, that's a great message and a great um, future objective too. And it is from the average person, point of view, average person's point of view, what is it that they can do to help them? I mean, you're bringing this to light. You're bringing a lot of awareness. Is it, is there a place they could go to? Is it a thing of, of, is it, you know, is it just. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can, um, our foundation is the, the child liberation foundation. You can go to liberateachild.org or liberatechildren.org. Um, it's focused on the anti-trafficking side. Um, but there, but there's, there's, we, we're still funding other groups that are doing the undercover and stuff. There's some great, great people that are doing that. So that's number one. You, they can follow me. They can find us Paul Hutchinson official. Um, I've got Paul Hutchinson official.com, my Facebook, my LinkedIn and stuff. Like I say, I didn't even have uh, a, an active Facebook three, four weeks ago wow. and it up. Now I have few thousand followers and, and, uh, connections. I, I did my first podcast talking about these things little over two weeks ago. The guy only had uh, about a thousand followers. He's had 46,000 views of people just sharing it, sharing without any promotion on it. So it's, it's beautiful to see that people are capturing the message and saying, yes, I, 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 I'm tired of living a life of quiet desperation. I want to learn how I can grow and progress. And so, you know, spreading the word of light and hope and stuff is super valuable. Yes, they could donate to the foundation. It's doing not only child rescue stuff, but we're going to be doing a lot of trauma healing uh, seminars and stuff for adults and and things that are going to help fix that problem before it becomes a problem. So those are all things. I I, I think Paul Hutchinson official is kind of a long one. I'm, I'm trying to find a, a short or something. I'm thinking of doing like like Soul Healer 007 or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I I mean, look, I'll certainly um for, for most of the podcasts we do, especially the the more important ones, um, I I'd create a singular page within the bumping into dot com dot au website and I'll certainly create that page. And by all means feel free to send me information as things develop. So as this, as the promo for the film comes out, if there's a media release for the book, as these things come out, I'll make sure that they're available there. So it's easily identified whether someone's hearing this tomorrow or in six months or at the end of the year, there's, there's going to be that content there to go deeper with. I'm super, super grateful, super grateful for that. Thank you. No, that's, that's no problem at all. Thank you very much for your story and your time. It's, it's been a fascinating insight into your world and your life. Well, thank you. I appreciate you letting me take some time with uh, with you and your your amazing audience and 
super grateful for your time today. Thanks very much for listening all the way through to the end. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you're trying to find out anything more, you can, uh, as, as mentioned, you can head to Paul's website, which is paulhutchinsonofficial.com, or you can head over to the bumpingintocomau page and find this episode page. There will be links there. There'll be more information there that you can follow and go deeper on. And, uh, and that'll be updated as things come to light too. So as the movie gets released and the book gets released, um, I'll continue to update those links and provide information. So no matter when you're listening to this, if it's on release or in six months, six years time, there's, there's hopefully some more information there that's available to you. If you did enjoy the episode, please do share it. Uh, If there's anyone that you think would like it, hit the share button and and on send. Um, If you do get the opportunity, a five-star review would be very helpful. Um, Apparently, five-star reviews are the only one that helps a podcast move through the ranks. So if you are in a position to leave a a review, um, you know, if you could make it a five-star review, that would be great. It helps more people find the show. but essentially, if, if you enjoyed it and you think someone else will, just share it. That's all I really ask for. Thanks again for sticking to the end. I will speak to you on the next one.